Okay, this morning we will be reading from the ESV version, um, Philippians 3, verse 17 to 4, and um, verse 1, sorry, chapter 4, verse 1. But before we read, let us pray. You are worthy of all honour and praise. We come before you today, laying down our pride, arrogance and confess our need for you as we read and hear your eternal unfailing word. Without you, we are nothing. Grant us the blessing to be faithful disciples in standing firm in your word, that we may be a light shining upon all who are in darkness. As we hear your word being preached by Mark, encourage each of us today to give you all the glory by obeying, following your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they, they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers... Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, crown stay firm, stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, and um, welcome to you all. It's great to see you all, and uh, it's great to come under the authority of God's word. For those who know the church calendar you will all know that Thursday was Ascension Day, and today is Ascension Sunday, and it's the day that we celebrate or we acknowledge the ascension of Jesus Christ from earth to heaven after his resurrection and um, take up his position at the right hand of God. So um, that's just a little bit of interesting uh, context to the sermon this morning. This is continuing my series that's been going on what seems like the last 52 years on a healthy church, the characteristics that make up a healthy church, the things that you should see in a church to suggest that it is, um, it's on track, it's progressing and moving with the Lord. Um, we can get a lot um, from Philippians simply because the church in Philippi, it seems was a particularly healthy church. The, um, Philippians 2, 2 verse 12 suggests that up to now, up to this point at the time of writing, the church had been obedient. Chapter 4 verses 10 to 18, Paul commends them for his partnership and for their concern for him and their attention to him. Um, so that, and there, there's no obvious reprimands in the letter if you read all of the, the letter, you will find nothing to suggest there is any heresy, any immorality. Um, it's certainly not a 1 Corinthians letter. 
and we know the difference. 1 Corinthians was a letter written to rebuke the church. Philippians seems to be a letter to a church that is progressing well. It is a good, obedient church. So, Paul's aim in this letter is to, um, for them to continue their journey, to stand firm for the gospel when challenge comes, and to remain faithful for the gospel. So, we're taking four verses. Um, the back end of chapter 3, verses 17 through to 21, and then uh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, which in reality is the last verse in chapter 3. Not quite sure why they made a new chapter uh, for that particular verse. So let's have a look and see where this journey takes us this morning, and hopefully by the end we will be able to assess how our small congregation here is matching up to God's Word. So Paul starts this little section in his letter um, warning the Philippians to keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And he invites them, join in imitating me. It's a little bit arrogant by the sounds of it, is it not? Copy me. Look how good I am. Look how perfect I am. Be holy as I am holy. Is that what Paul is saying? No, we've got to read the Bible in context. And um, Paul is certainly not suggesting that they should, uh, you know, that he's got some sort of sinless perfection in his life. We read all the Bible in context. And verse, verses 12 and 13 give us the context by which Paul is saying, you should imitate me. Note what it says. Not that I have already obtained this, this being the prize, the goal, the, the perfection. Or I'm already perfect. Paul is clearly saying to them, I am not perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, and this is the bit that Paul is commending the church in Philippi to imitate him in. Forgetting what lies ahead and straining forward to what lies ahead. Press on is a, it's an analogy. It's an analogy of running. And it's like a race that you're in. It's, it's, a, it's a battle. It's a fight. It's a challenge. I press on. I, I remain faithful and obedient. And Paul is instructing the church in Philippi to take this seriously. So, just to give that context, Paul is not suggesting in any way that he is perfect, but model Paul's determination. And if you look at the, the life of Paul in the New Testament, he certainly went through lots of trials and lots of tribulations, yet he persevered. He, he, he fought the good fight. And he says this to his, um, his, his next in line, Timothy. But as for you, O man of God, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. And remember a few weeks ago, uh, Vic taught us from Ephesians about the armor of God. The Christian life is a battle. It's a fight. It's not an easy ride. It's not something that we just stroll through. If we're truly saved, if we're truly God's, we should be ready 
and willing and able to persevere and to fight and to hold our own in the power of God. Again, Paul, uh, at the end of his life, at the end of 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, approaching his imminent death, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Note there that running analogy again. The pressing on, the running. And if anyone is a runner, and years ago, in my younger days, I used to do half marathons. I know it's hard to believe. You meant to say, no, it's not. No, but I know it's hard to believe. But I used to, and I'm telling you, I, I went through agony in those half marathons. That's the analogy that Paul has given us. In Hebrews, he, he encourages his readers there, um, or the, the author of Hebrews, let us lay aside every weight. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So he said, what we're saying here is Paul's saying, imitate me, but Paul is imitating Christ. You see, so, so Paul is saying, you know, you know, imitate my perseverance. But then you look at the words of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ, and how perfectly he persevered. He went to death, even death on a cross. And of course, then we hear that if we are to be like Christ, we are to do what? Take up our cross and follow Christ. So the Christian life is hard work. In Thessalonians, Paul says, you become imitators of us and of the Lord. And then that verse from Matthew, take up your cross and follow me. So I just wanted to give that context because if you read those words without the context, you're in danger of suggesting that Paul is elevating himself to be perfect, and he is most certainly not. Of course, Christian leaders are to do this as well. Those who are in leadership in the church, being examples to the flock. That's 1 Peter 5. So let's get back to our text today with that context in mind. Christians are to be united. Notice there, join in imitating me. The Christian church is not a church of solo runners. Join. He's inviting them to join. Work alongside each other. Join together. Be united. Whatever denomination or whatever congregation you go to, be united in imitating Paul in the perseverance. There are some churches who are big, have got lots of money, and there's smaller churches where we struggle for numbers, we struggle for certain demographics. But all churches are to persevere and work together for the good of the gospel. And what is that example? What is Paul asking them to imitate? Persevering, fighting, pressing, all of those words. But also in walking. Notice there who walk according to the example you have in us. And whenever you see a word like walk, you should be thinking, well, what does walk mean? Well, if you go to 1 John, you will find what it's like to walk in the light. So our Christian walk must be one of perseverance, determination, accepting the challenge will come, be ready for it. 
prepared and forewarned the challenges coming, but also walking in the light. Acknowledging your sin, repenting of your sin, following God's commands, having right doctrine, loving the Lord. Those are the people that Paul commends us to imitate, of which he is one. My question to us this morning, who do we follow in the Christian faith? Who are our Christian role models? Who do we look to as an example? Yes, we look to Jesus Christ, but it's also right to look for imitators of Christ to encourage us in the church. Who are we following? Are we following the Benny Hins of this world, the Kenneth Copelands, the Joseph Princes, who teach false doctrine, but are very amiable, very nice, and very, very friendly, and, 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 and tell us what we want to hear? Do we look at Church of England clergy who are just, who are, who, who, who are taking the church into heterodoxy and false teaching? Very nice people, very amiable, speak very well, but not walking in the light and not certainly persevering for the gospel. And my next question for us as a church this morning is, what would new Christians see if they looked at you? If they looked at you this morning, what would they see? What traits would they imitate from you in terms of your Christian walk? Because imitation is not just from leaders, it's maturity as well. Mature Christians. What do new Christians, immature Christians, new Christians see in your Christian walk? Do they see you persevering? Do they see you challenging and fighting for the faith? Do they see you taking on challenge? Do they see you following good doctrine, good teaching? You see, the world wants to get into the church. This was what was going on in Philippi. This was the context, if you read the full letter. There was those who wanted to bring back circumcision. And it is implied in this text, this part of the text, that these were people um, that he's referring to here in verses 18 and 19 who were anti-Christ but were were actually pretending to be Christians. They were giving all the pretense of Christianity. You see, the, the world will come into the church if we allow it. The world is never far from the church's door. More so now probably than ever I've noticed in my life. A healthy church has its eyes on Jesus Christ and the example of God, godly Christians. Be wary of those Christians who are not persevering, who are not challenged, who are having an easy life. There is something about being a Christian and having challenge. The two go hand in hand. That's all of the verses that we've looked at already. Fight the fight, run the race, persevere. There's nothing easy about the Christian life. And without being judgmental, because we've got to be really careful, if you're following a Christian leader or Christians who are having an easy life as a Christian, 
the question I think you should ask is, what Christian are, Christianity are they following? Because Christianity is countercultural to the world. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, we all know these verses. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. If we are following, or we ourselves are Christians who are worldly, we need to take stock and we need to reflect. Verses 18 and 19. See, Paul warns the Philippians that there, there are those who walk as enemies of the cross. And that distresses Paul. Are, are, are we distressed when we see um, false teaching come into the church? And Paul's warned them. You see, even a healthy church needs to be rewarned. Needs to be rewarned. We need to be challenging each other all of the time. We need to be, we need to be working very hard and, and, and supporting each other and challenging each other. Iron sharpens iron. We are to challenge each other and, and keep us all accountable. Note where these enemies, enemies of the cross are going. And this is the beginning of the contrast in these verses. The contrast between the world and heaven. See, the, the end point for enemies of the cross is destruction. Now, the word destruction there doesn't mean annihilationism, doesn't mean that they, they just cease to exist, but it is, it is a bad place. It is a place of real pain and agony. That's what the Greek word means there. And we can spot these people. We can spot these people by their God is their belly. That means they are, they are focused only on what satisfies them. Their desires, and we've heard from one John, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Their glory is in their shame. They are shameful, they're shameless in their disobedience. But note this, this is the, the point where the contrast in the text today comes in. Their minds are set on earthly things. Their minds are set on earthly things. They have not got their minds set on Christ and heaven. Where are our minds set this morning? Are our minds on earthly things? Are we in the world? Are we in the world and of the world? Or are we in the world but not of the world? Are we professing our faith? Are we challenged in our faith? Are we challenged in our Christian life? Now note the contrast, but. So the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose minds are set on earthly things, contrasted with 
the Christians in Philippi. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, this is a big statement. This is a big statement. What it's not saying is that somehow we're not present in this world now, that we don't have responsibilities now. We don't have lives to lead here, things to work through. It's, it's not suggesting that we can just blase through life. We know that because we're called to press. He's already, Paul's already told uh, uh, the Philippians that. But this is the assurance and this is the measure of Christianity because it's our citizenship. Citizenship is, it, 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 the, the, the term there means it's almost like um, a colony of foreigners. So, and the Philippians would have really resonated with this because if you know anything about the region, Philippi was a Roman colony in amongst totally un-Roman area of the world. And the citizens of Philippi had all the trappings of Rome. They wore Roman dress. They looked like Romans. They had a Roman government system over the city of Philippi. The, the court system, the justice system, the magisterial system was Roman. They spoke Latin. They had Roman morals. I'm not suggesting these things are good. What I'm saying, though, is that the, 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 the term citizenship in heaven here really has a, has a particular context for the Philippians because what it's saying is, despite the fact you are living outside of where your home is, you are creating and you are standing up for what your citizenship is amongst those who are not Romans around you. You have all the trappings of Rome, but you're not in Rome yet. You see, the Romans, in, the Romans in Philippi didn't assimilate into the cultures around them. They were distinct. Someone wandering around and wandered into Philippi would say, for all intents and purposes, these people are living like they are in Rome. That's the picture that's being given here. This has a lot of meaning behind it because Paul is reminding the Philippians that despite the fact that you are um, living in the world, living around people who are, have worldly values, worldly morals, who are sinful, you are not to assimilate into the world around you, rather you are to be a citizen of heaven, to be a colony of Christians in a world where your values and your morals are not, uh, are not in play. You are to be distinct as Christians. Now, I've got a rather silly example to show you of an, another one, and this is just a bit of fun more than anything, but I think it makes a good point. Newcastle United, my football team, Okay, they go to London occasionally. They went to a cup final um, about five or six weeks ago. And loads of Geordies, Geordies are what we are from Newcastle, went to London. And they took Newcastle down to London. They kept their loyalty to Newcastle, as you can see there, some of the ridiculous things that they're getting up to. 
they showed their colours. They were unmistakably from Newcastle. They dressed as people from Newcastle. They didn't assume, they kept the same language. They didn't speak posh. I know it's hard to tell because I speak posh, but, but they didn't assimilate. You see, they, they went to London and said, we are going to be distinct. There was no doubt where these people were from. They proudly shouted and sang for their team, their love. And believe you me, from where I'm from, the love of the football team is big, really big. And being a Geordie myself, they will talk to anyone who will give them an ear to listen about what, how good life is up in the true homeland up north. Despite the fact they're all in London, they bring Newcastle to London and they shout and sing and are proud, are distinct for their citizenship. Now that may seem like a, a sort of daft example, but I think it makes a point. Because I think we can see in the context of the scripture, how would people know where our citizenship was? If I were to ask any of you, do people know your citizenship is in heaven? Well, what does that look like, Mark? Well, we've seen persevering for the faith, being distinct, being distinct for the doctrines of, of, of Christ, being distinct for the gospel, not assimilating into the world, standing firm, persevering even when there's challenge. Are we proudly being heavenly citizens in the world today? Are we showing our colors? Are we as proud as those Geordies in Trafalgar Square about where, we're, where their citizenship is, where our citizenship is? Are we as proud of that? Are we as quick to talk to people about it? Are we distinguishable? Are we Christ-like? Are we Paul-like? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ to the world. Are we ambassadors for the gospel in the world? Or are we hidden? Is our citizenship hidden? Do we sort of move away from persevering? When, when it gets tough being a Christian, do we compromise? Now, these are challenging questions, and, and I've been really challenged myself preparing this sermon. But I think that's what the text today tells us. We are to follow the example of Paul, the example of Christ, even to death, if that's what's needed. Persevering, being determined, and yet being distinct as a colony the church is, a, if you like, a colony of Christians in an unfriendly world. And that's why Paul says we need to join together because we need each other to do this. We need everyone here in this congregation to stand with each other to help us. And why is that so good? Why is this citizenship so good? Because one day, our ambassadorial role, our temporary posting, if you want to give a military term, our temporary posting to Philippi, the world, 
will come to an end. You see, this posting is not, this posting in this world, this, this, this secondment here, if you like, whatever term you want to use, it's not forever. Because one day, Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. We have a future where we are citizens. At the minute, we are citizens temporarily posted to the world. But one day, we will be called home. And are we ready for that? Because the Bible teaches us those who persevere to the end will get there. Are we persevering in this world today? See, we have a glorious hope. Contrast with the destruction of those who are focused on earthly things, we have a focus on heavenly things and we have a hope that is steadfast and certain that one day the sovereign almighty God through his son Jesus Christ who has ascended this Ascension Sunday in heaven by the power, the power that enables him to subject all things to himself will give us new bodies and transform us and ready us for eternity. But while we're waiting, we are to await. We are to await. The Greek word means eagerly await with anticipation but patience. We are called to await the return of Jesus Christ. We are to live in the now, representing Christ while patiently but eagerly anticipating our return home. Are we doing that, church? Are we so fixed on the world now and so lost in the troubles of the world now that we have no hope as a Christian? Or are we so focused on heaven that we just are blase about our life on earth. Ah, no point investing anything. No point investing in people, investing in gospel witness, investing in being, a, you know, being distinct because uh, I'm only here for a short time. Both those viewpoints are wrong. We ought to be now, present Christians now, eagerly awaiting, focused on the here and now, focused on our life as a Christian now, our role as an ambassador for Jesus Christ in this world, but also knowing that at some point this posting is going to end and we have a hope, we have a certainty in eternity. So what does that look like as I close? I'm not going to read all of this. I would urge you though to read Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Because this gives us some ideas as to what seeking the things that are above, having a heavenly citizenship should look like. If then you've been raised with Christ, which if we are saved, truly saved, not just professing Christ with our lips, but our lives are representative of the gospel. Seek the things that are above. That's not a request, by the way, that's a command. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What's holding you to the world this morning? Is it your job? Is it your children? Is it money? 
Is it your lifestyle? What's stopping you persevering and being an ambassador for Jesus Christ in the world? Is it one of those things, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, covetousness? But then put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. See, living as a citizen in heaven, on earth, has a, has a, um, has a position description attached to it. You can tell I work in HR, can't you? It has a job description. It has a capability framework. Not that that will earn you your salvation, but it is the expectancy, the distinguishing marks of someone with a heavenly focus are the things that are focused on heaven and are not the things that tie you in some way to the world. How are we doing with that this morning? And then Paul closes, and this is my last point. Therefore, so as a result of what I've just said to you, my brothers whom I love and long for, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm has a, has a particular context in the Greek. It means to positively, positively stand firm in faith and duty, to be constant and consistent. So it, it's like that unmovable tree. You ought to be consistent. How consistent are we as Christians? Do we, do we get very holy on a Sunday and very worldly on a Monday? Constant, consistent. And the word, the Greek word is in the ongoing as well. So we've got to continue doing it. This is, this is an ongoing requirement of the Christian. Stand firm. In this world, we will have many trials, temptations. We will be seduced, if we're not careful, to worldly values, ideals, morals, ideologies, priorities. A healthy church knows where their home is and patiently but expectedly follows Christ, follows Paul and the other Christian soldiers of the faith in persevering and remaining faithful to our citizenship because one day Christ will return. May the Lord bless you as we hear God's word and um, let me just pray before we move into the last few songs of the service. Almighty God, we thank you and praise you for calling us into your church. We thank you and praise you for our salvation. Please help us to stand firm, to be faithful to your gospel, to be faithful to your word, to be people who live on earth but have a heavenly citizenship, known by who we follow and who our Lord and Master is. Help us to remain faithful to you this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.